Today I'm chatting with Sean Potter. Currently the high performance manager at the Calder Cannons, which is a club in the under 18 system uh, in, in Victoria and caters all the way down to under 15s and caters for females also. He, he was a strength coach and a development coach and high performance manager for the Northern Blues and he was an intern with the Carlton Blues as a strength coach. So lots of experience there over the last uh, years. His qualifications, he's got a Master's in Exercise Science and Strength and Conditioning from Edith Cowan University, and he's a Level 2 professional coach with the ASCA. Uh, significantly, he, he has played AFL football. Um, he's currently playing ice hockey, and he was a swimmer. So a really uh, multilateral development, let's call it that. So the chat today is about all things development, uh, in the under 18 system. So let's get chatting. Uh, g'day, Sean. How are you? Going very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, Mate, I just want to chat to you about uh, what you do at Call the Cannons. I mean, a bit about everything else too. And what what are you responsible for at the at the Call the Cannons? And give me an overview of what what actually the Call the Cannons is. You know. Yeah, so I'll start with a bit of an overview. So we are a NAB League team, which is a development pathway team, uh, basically to get into the AFL for a lot of these athletes, or hopefully get into the AFL for these athletes. Um, we deal with an under-16s, an under-18s, and we have an under-15s team uh, later on in the year, which sort of comes through to help filter athletes through for us with um, some potential draftable players. Um, so my role there is high performance manager. So I'll oversee a lot of the uh, fitness side of things uh, in terms of the different squads that we've got coming through, both boys and girls. Okay, so you're, you're not only do hands-on, you're responsible for staff right through from under 18 to under 15. Yeah, yeah. So basically anybody that uh, deals with the athletes from a, a fitness perspective or a loading perspective, um, I'll oversee them. So... I'm also responsible for training and developing staff as well as also the athletes. So, but you, you work full-time in, 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 in another area too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so I also work at the Public Leisure Centre and I oversee all the gym and manage the gym there. Okay, so, so getting back to Calder, it, it's, it's obviously a very important job. From my perspective, it's probably my yep. opinion here, given players get recruited from here and or get recruited by the VFL or local league. So it's certainly the breeding ground for players for all levels. But but you don't actually get paid a uh, million dollars, do you? <laughs> no, no, you definitely don't. Unfortunately, um, the, the money doesn't really funnel down much past the AFL system um, and I, I dare say that goes across most sports here in Australia um, if you're working in elite environment you're, you're probably getting a full-time pay although there are some part-time positions in the elite environment across most sports um, but outside of that um, typically you're probably going to have to do some sort of work on the side as well okay yeah so I, I, I personally, look, this, you don't have to answer this. I don't want to put you on the spot because you're in the system. I, I personally think that's a fault of the system where this is such an important period in these uh, players' development that um, people like you have an enormous responsibility and it should be, be, well, it should be a full-time job. But anyway, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so what, what, not your pay, if you, if you went across the under-18s, what would be an average wage for somebody... Or a range, probably better for for somebody like you in the in the under eighteen system, who's a high performance manager. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I mean a lot of our interns would be working for free, um, and obviously with that we need to be adjustable to what their roles and responsibilities and time requirements are. Um, if you go into a strength conditioning position where you might be helping out like a high performance manager, or you might be sort of overseeing part of a program, whether it's strength, rehab, conditioning or whatever it might be, um, you'd probably be looking at somewhere between 500 to probably 1,500 a, a, a year. Um, and then high-performance managers will probably range somewhere between five and 
$10,000 for the year. Okay, so, so a very big job as a high performance manager, very important job, a lot of responsibility, but not a heap of money. But, but obviously you get the training for future. Um, so so Calder Cannons has got pretty good facilities compared to other under, under 18 clubs, I, I, I would think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're really lucky in terms of we've got a um, facility up in Craigieburn all to our own. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a football dedicated facility where I know a few of the other clubs have to share their facilities with cricket or they might even have um, satellite groups with uh, some of the bigger regions like your Gippsland and Murray and Bendigo and all like. Um, but we're really lucky. The AFL built a stadium for us or for, for the AFL back, I think it was 05, 06, 07, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're really lucky and um, that we've got that facility basically to ourselves, like I said. And, uh, yeah, continual development and improvements going on it as basically the years go on as well. So, so I mean, Colwood Cannons relative to other clubs and even clubs or systems around Australia is probably the most successful club, isn't it, in getting players drafted? I think historically, yeah, we've uh, done pretty well in terms of getting players both into the AFL and the AFLW. I think, um, yeah, I don't know whether we're still the best, but we definitely strive to be the best that we can within the uh, constraints and restrictions that we've got, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do do you work, do other people work with you or other institutions like universities, do they feed in or is it just a matter of situation? Like, do you just get interns in general? Uh, Do you have alliances? Yeah, so um, in terms of universities and stuff like that, nothing specifically. Um, typically when looking for interns um, and staff, I'll typically look for those that I know will be able to commit some sort of time or need to commit some time. So that might be uh, different people having to complete hours through uni or even through um, the ACA. So anybody that I know I'm going to have for a certain amount of time, whether it's the 140 hours or or more or less, um, I'm more likely to go for those people because you're guaranteed that they're going to stay around a lot longer than those that are just doing it for a bit of a experience. Okay, certainly I'm not going to... You don't have to answer this. I'm going to throw in my opinion again. I, I just cannot believe yep. universities, uh, students also, uh, they all run to the AFL or NRL or whatever, and yet there's probably a lot more research and a lot more need to be involved with clubs like yours or institutions like yours where development and research is much more relevant because people are developing and mm. and yet, you know, people really don't gravitate towards it. I, fi- I find it quite amazing from, from A to Z with the system. But anyway, as I said, don't answer that. That's my opinion. <laughs> uh, touch on the biggest <laughs> challenge. <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot. Touch you on yeah. the biggest challenges you have there. You know, what, what are your biggest challenges? You know, is it, is it being understaffed, under-resourced? Is it pressure from parents? Is it the, the, the combination of school needs? Uh, are, are, are the lads just, or uh, not lads, just the, the, the players, the girls and the boys, are they just too young quite often? What, what, what are your, some of your biggest challenges in your job? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a few challenges. Um, I think the biggest one is just the amount of time you get with the athletes. Um, when we're sort of talking that we might see them pre-season three nights a week for probably two or three hours each night um, and you drop that down to in-season maybe twice a week plus a game day, uh, it's not a massive amount of time to really develop all the different characteristics they really need to be able to go into the AFL level and really succeed in the AFL level and be ready-made for basically round one in their draft year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where you find like a lot of them probably won't play until their sort of second or third year within the AFL system. Uh, well, that's one of the biggest issues that I sort of find. Um, the other thing as well is just dealing with some of the external stakeholders, whether it be, say, schools or local football and stuff like that. So uh, we're, we're quite lucky that we've got pretty good relationships with our schools in the area. Um, but I know a few of the other clubs, high performance managers, talked to me and sort of said that there are some resistance. Now, the biggest thing with that is, yes, yeah, school and local footy are more around winning and wanting to win to 
look better. Um, we're, we're more a matter of developing and development. So it's maybe not all the time the views align as to what you're, what you're after and the, the outcomes that you want. Um, but I think as long as you can have those open communications with the stakeholders, you're, you're going to usually have a pretty good outcome. Yeah. Um, and it just means that one program may need to potentially alter things over another program. Now, a lot of the uh, players that have scholarships to different schools, so our main ones are Pegs and Assumption College, um, they, they will take priority due to having that scholarship with school. So we need to maybe alter what we would do with those athletes uh, as they're coming through the system. Yeah, yeah. I read an article recently about, you know, the, well, seemingly the anomaly about private schools, you know, being more the feeding ground for, for draft picks, which seemed yeah. to be, well, I suppose from my days, you know, Paul Chapman, I, I, I really don't know where he went to school. He might be, I'm thinking he went to Broadie High. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Is that the case? Calder Cannons is close to a lot of, you know, those northern suburbs. And yet, do, mm. do you get kids there from the Bronx, you know, if you know what I mean, from, from, for want of a better word? Or is it, is it just more, is it more from now the yep. private schools? What's, what's the sort of the feed into the club? Yeah, um, I mean, we, we do have a lot of uh, private school athletes. Um, However, in saying that, we also have a fair few uh, public school athletes as well. Um, so I would sort of say, off the top of my head, half the list would be public, half of them would be oh, private. Okay. Um, the, the biggest thing with a private school is because they can basically give a scholarship, so free schooling, um, they would typically poach those public school kids. Um, so that's where I sort of find sometimes the numbers might be a little bit skewed. I'd be more interested to see how many of them started at a private school, say, year seven, and went right the way through versus those that, say, started at a public school and then went private later on for, like, BCE or something like that. Do you find, and I've probably put this question before other questions, do you find with the private school boys, can you see... Are they better developed? Do they do more gym work at the private school? Are they getting more work in, more training than the, the public schools? And, and therefore, is that possibly the reason that there seems to be more players coming from private schools at, at the AFL draft level? Um, not necessarily from an athletic standpoint. Okay. Um, okay. I think from a from a football from a football standpoint. Uh, typically your private schools have got a football program. So mm, sometimes you'll find that they're better from a football understanding and playing point of view. Um, but from an athletic point of view, uh, some of our public schools in the area have got um, like gym set up and S&C coaches that work there, like um, Maribyrnong Secondary. Okay. Um, so we're, we're quite lucky that a few of our athletes go there as well, where they've got a proper athletic set up. Um, some of the private schools have got S&C coaches that work with them. Some of them don't. So it's really quite um, more so school dependent rather than public versus private. Fair enough. That's very well put, uh, Sean. Okay, so I just want to move on to yeah. some uh, very general factors about development and then we can go back to call the cannons. Um, yep. Uh, how do you factor in Thing. You said under 15s, under 16s, right? How do you, and obviously yep. males and females, so there's a big difference here in maturation. How do you factor in um, mm. areas like peak height velocity, obviously immature players, the relative age, the combination of that? Um, is that just too much to do? Or obviously at under 15, it probably would with the numbers, but all those areas mm. that you've studied in your masters at you know, your graduate level, can you use that information yeah. or are you just overrun by numbers at your system? No, no. I mean, we, we definitely use a lot of those sort of factors. Um, I think, look, ultimately, I think it's one of those things where you do what you can with the time you've got and the resources that you've got. So 
thankfully, I've got some uh, really good resources to sort of lean on in terms of a lot of this sort of stuff. And also reaching out to various S&C coaches that have done a lot of research in these areas has also helped. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we, we use those sort of factors a lot. Um, so Peacock Velocity, we'll, we'll track that over there, sort of 16s and 18s year. Um, typically, uh, we sort of find that there might be a little bit of growth in their top age year, but a lot of them have, to a certain degree, finished a fair bit um, of their growth. So they've finished going up, and they're more so going horizontally outward now, hopefully putting on uh, the muscle mass. So uh, where some of them have also still growing and they're quite tall and skinny still. So a few of them are still need to factor in their growth. Um, but the biggest thing that I've sort of done is within the 18s program is have a developed group and a developing group. So those that we know are pretty much on the back end of their development, so height-wise mainly, um, they'll be able to do a lot more of the conditioning and a lot sort of more of the weights where the developing group, we just be a little bit more mindful around what they will do. So some of those taller, skinnier guys, like I sort of said, and girls, um, we might say pull them out of the conditioning drills a little bit earlier or we might just monitor the, their loads a little bit more carefully just so that uh, they don't get the muscle injuries. Um, and then from a weight's point of view, like some of them might be all over the place in the gym, all of a sudden they've gone from 160 to 170 in height or 170 to 180 or so on, um, and they're just a bit uncoordinated. So in the 16s program, they might be really, really good uh, athletically moving, uh, movement efficiency, all that sort of stuff. Come to the 18s program, they're all over the place, mainly because they've had a growth spurt. Um, so these are all things that we need to factor in as well. When you do peak height velocity, do you just take height or do you do sitting height and standing height and use the formula? Yeah, we do. We do sitting and standing. So typically, um, we'll do on an induction day uh, before they come into the program, which is usually the week before preseason starts. We'll just take some height. Uh, normally, we'll do it sort of just after the Christmas period as well. So there's a couple of months in between there. Okay. Uh, and then also uh, mid-season, we'll typically do that as well, and we can get a pretty good idea as to whether they've pretty much finished growing or whether there's still a little bit of uh, left in it. Yeah, I'd be interested to see whether this is... Is it, is it a mandate from the AFL or is it just something that Call the Cannons does? No, no, that's something that we do. So um, they'll get official testing uh, at a testing day in pre-season. So that's where all the NAB League clubs come together. Um, typically, typically, it's held at Maribyrnong Secondary um, and they'll do all their testing. So your height, weight, vertical jump, yo-yo test, all that sort of stuff on that day. And then if they're lucky enough to get invited to the combine, they'll do it officially again at the end of the year. Um, but otherwise, outside of that, we'll do a lot of in-house testing ourselves. Uh, and then if the AFL recruiters want to know some of those results, we're more than happy to provide that as well and have chats to them around it and how they're developing physically. So, so when you said... One thing that interests me, when you said under 15 squads, which obviously is a pretty big net, you know, in the, in the, uh, and under 16, do you have the resources, especially at under 15, to to get data on peak height velocity at that age, or is that just too much, it's just big groups? Yeah, with the under 15s group, because they will typically start, um, or they'll come in and start training sort of more mid-year, um, if, if we've got the, the coaches around to be able to do so, we will we'll take the, the heights and the sitting heights and yeah. be able to look at a lot of that sort of data. Um, sometimes we're able to do it, sometimes we're not. Um, no, it just right. depends yeah, how yeah, busy I, we are within the other programs as well. Probably a loaded question again. There's a lot of loaded questions here, and it's something that I think the AFL should yeah. personally should resource um, because if there's such yeah. a... Yeah, at that age, mm. that's when you have the... Well, I would think the maximal growth spurts, you know, that 14, 13, 14, 15, and the biggest yep. changes. And uh, it would be nice if you were resourced and assisted to get that data, which, as we know, data collection is always tough. You know, it's a lot of work. So, so, yes. so, so given that, um, do you think there's a risk at the under 15, under 16? So I'm assuming that if you don't get into the under-16s, under-15s, 
your statistical chances of getting into the under 18s are lessened. Is that is that a fair call? I, I, I suppose it's. Um. Yes. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, definitely, if you perform well at an under 16 level uh, with us, you're you're more than likely than not to to make or at least be invited to the pre-season squad with the under 18s. Um, purely because the, the coaches have got a bit more of an understanding about you. Um, but in saying that as well, some of the players do develop a little bit later, and we've, we've had plenty of athletes come into the program, never having been a part of the Canons program before in the under 16s or younger, um, that have made the under 18 squads previously. So um, it's one of those things where it is possible, but uh, it would be in your favour to be a part of that 16s program. Very nicely put, Sean. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, and I'm probably not talking about Calder here because I think you got your team does a fantastic job. I, I, I sense that some other clubs are a little bit uh, less resourced, but um, in terms of under 15s, under 16s, across the board in Australia, not just your system. Is there a risk yep. that stronger, faster players can sneak through into that under-15, under-16 squads without an assessment of these maturational factors um, and then possibly do skilled, immature players miss out? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately, yes. Um, I think it depends quite highly on the recruiters so um, or, or the scouts that are bringing these players into the programs. I think, uh, unfortunately, I even remember this when I was playing junior football. Um, you, you typically find that those players that develop physically earlier are going to be your better players because they are. They're, they're faster, they're able to get the ball quicker or they're stronger so they can fend off opponents easier or hold their ground easier or so on. So um, I think it's easy for these players to look better. Um, I think to a certain degree, you've still got to invite them into the programs purely because they are the better players for that age group. Um, However, in saying that, you've still got to have a really good eye to see, okay, somebody might be really quite underdeveloped from a physical standpoint, but really, really good at, say, a, a kick or a marking or they always have a crack or whatever it else it might be that they can also offer. Um, so you've got to have a really good eye to be able to see these players as well. I think it's a bit of give and take. It's not just quite as clear-cut as one way or the other way because uh, you've still got to be able to take both oh, for I, what I, it is. I, I but, agree. And yeah. I, I suppose one of the problems with this podcast is on leaning on my opinions a bit, <laughs> um, is uh, yeah, it, would seem to me, it would seem to me that the AFL puts forward their, you know, draft system as a, as a jewel, you know, and and, 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 and then if you, if you go back to under-15s and under-16s throughout Australia, uh, obviously the AFL is a well-resourced mm. organisation, you, you would think that they could couple... Um, some resources to, to get some peak height velocity, uh, you know, relative age data, training age, you know, immaturity, injuries at that 14, 15, 16 into a database. So that could be coupled with mm. coach's eye, you know, a kid can play, but he's immature. Obviously, that's a coach eye. But if you can couple, you know, yeah. art and science, and, and I think that's a little bit out, outside your scope or research, not scope, it's more like it's just too hard to do. So you rely on subjective feel at that sort of early level. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree, yeah. Yeah, okay. So so when you get, going back to under-18s in the draft, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you obviously had, we've seen a lot of shifts in the draft, but m- m- my experience from a physical perspective, and it was not well... Um, recruiters wouldn't say it out loud but if a player if there were two players that could play quite well Mm -hmm. very very general comment and one was a lot faster and the other one was quite slow they would generally 
gravitate towards the faster player. What, what's your experience with, with those factors? Because I think a lot of parents don't know what to concentrate on with their kids, to be honest. Yeah, um, this is it's a really good question. I've also spoken to a lot of the uh, AFL high-performance managers around this. Um, and a lot of it comes back to most people can get most people fitter. So from an endurance standpoint, yes, it does matter. Um, but you don't necessarily, like, if you focus on running, you can take your I don't know, 2K down from 7 to 6.45 or from 6.45 to 6.30. Like, it's, it's a lot more of a trainable aspect where speed and your jumping aspects and, and so on are a little bit more trickier to train um, because there's so many factors that come into it. Is the athlete strong? Uh, do they have good running technique? Um, how can they get their body into certain positions to best produce these sort of forces required to be successful in them? Um, so I think it's one of those things where, from a draft standpoint, from what I've sort of seen, and this is more so my opinion, so there's no real research to back it up, but unless you're in that real top group of performers for the test, or that real bottom group of performers for the test, it's not really going to alter too much whether you're going to get drafted or not. So if you put up a six-minute 2 k that's going to look really, really good. But if you put up a, I don't know, a 7.30 2 that's going to look really, really bad. Um, so those factors there might influence whether you get drafted or not or potentially your draft order. But if you're going to put up a 6.30 to a 7 minutes, that's usually pretty average. So it may not necessarily alter too much what's going on uh, from a draft standpoint. So I think it's really important to, to focus on the basic athleticism type of thing. So are they doing their strength? Are they looking at their, how they're running? Are they efficient in their movements? Um, stuff like that. And typically the tests will take care of themselves if you can focus on the basics first. Okay, I, I, I suppose what I was leading to, there was a, obviously I had 20 years of drafts when I was in the AFL, but mm. that ended in 2007. Yeah. But I did work with a number of uh, players, you know, between then and, and now um, who wanted to get drafted. And, and one, one very specific example of a player who'd been a very, very highly uh, credentialed junior and then I tested at 16, he was... A bit slow, to be honest, mm. you know. And then yeah. when it came to the draft camp, his club had him, I think six weeks before, doing a lot of fitness work, trying to get him you know, as fit as possible. And I kept saying mm. to his father, hey, listen, is this kid's slow. If he, he's quite slow. If he, if, he, yeah. if he does a slow time at the, in the speed, forget the endurance, at the draft camp, I, 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 I think they'll just pass him by. And personally, I thought they mm. overtrained him before the draft camp. They didn't work on speed. He ran very slow, and uh, he's not playing. Um, I, 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 just, yeah. I just found speed was a, was a big fear in recruiters or lack of speed. Yep, yep. And if you look at the way the AFL game style is going, they want fast players. Um, so being able to run fast is, is a very important factor and yeah, the 20 metre is, is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously we have outliers all the time, a player who's super, super good. Now, we know the outliers, yeah. but I'm talking in general. I'm talking in general. Of like, course, yeah. Okay, all right. So so we, we go back to parents and, and, and obviously they're your, to be honest, you know, obviously the AFL's your main stakeholder, but parents are the the next yep. important piece of the puzzle for you guys. Um, you, yep. you, you've got players from 12 to 16. Um, mm-hmm. what, from a physical standpoint, and, and they're not in your system, what, what's, what's a very general piece of advice for your parents? Do you, do you source, forgetting going to a private school, do you source a personal trainer at this yep. stage, given the, the situation, if, if, the, if, the, if the player is... is um, very motivated to make it? Do you, do you concentrate more on the skills or do you just work on fundamental movements? What, what's some general advice for parents? It's a very, very general question. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd say, um, oh, so I'll talk on two parts. So I'll talk from a football perspective first. I'd say get them into a program where there's good quality coaches. Um, so whether that's their local club or whether that's uh, a school or something along those lines, but basically get them into a program where they're going to get really good quality coaching. Um, and from an athletic standpoint, I would say try and seek out a running coach. So hit up different athletics clubs and so on. So really try and get somebody that can actually teach running mechanics. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be training sessions as such, but more so movement efficiency from that standpoint. And then on the flip side of that as well, try and seek out an SNC coach to actually take them through uh, more weight programs. So um, try try and get somebody that's actually creditable. So not so much just somebody that's, I know your, your brother's sister's, Mm-hmm. sons, friends, PT mm-hmm. that have just passed their cert for, actually get somebody that understands youth athletes and understands how it fits into the bigger spectrum of what they're doing um, and is going to be able to actually program to what they need, not so much, oh, yeah, we're going to come in and we're going to do this sort of high-intensity training session and yeah, we're yeah. going to do ropes and slam balls and all this sort of stuff. Actually yeah. get somebody that's going to be able to teach the squat, the hinge movements, the pressing movements, all that sort of stuff. Actually stuff that they're going to be able to take later on in life. Okay, so so basically when we, we're just putting skills out, the, the obvious, we're talking um, athletic training here, um, mm. learn, learn how to run as, as, as well as possible from all, all, all aspects and obviously get somebody that yeah. knows what they're doing there. And then from the personal training point of view or strength and conditioning point of view, um, tick the box with a lot of fundamental movements, so especially when you get to your system, uh, they hit the ground running. That, yep. that would be pretty much the basic things if you can yeah. if you can work yeah. on those things and and not get sucked into, as you say, some some crazy personal trainers doing ropes and yeah, high intensity, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, chances are the the player doesn't necessarily need that form of training yet. Mm. Uh, they they need to focus on the fundamentals and what they need to improve. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. So, so I, I, what I did find dealing with parents was, you know, especially the sort of 15, 16, 17-year-old parents of that age, was, oh, my son's just not running a good 2K, or my daughter's not running a good 2K. Mm. And it was like this, this obsession with the 2K or the beep test or the 3K, whatever a club does, right? And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was probably that, that message to parents, and, and I, which is important, obviously, if, if a player hasn't got a good engine or a good capacity, but it definitely is a critical part of it. But I found that was all they could see. That's, that's just about all many parents could see. And I, 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 it seemed like the, the system perpetuated that do you, do you find that parents talk about that more than fundamental movements, running technique, etc.? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest reason why, say, the more running-based tests are always brought up, so 2K, yo-yo, B-test, all that sort of stuff, is because across the board it's a lot easier to implement at various clubs. So whether you're at a local club under 10s all the way through to your AFL sort of senior men, you can easily do a 2K. Go to the local park, go to the local running track, whatever it might be, and you can easily do it. doesn't take much from a resource standpoint where when you come to movement efficiency, I might be able to look at a squat, you might be able to look at a squat, and we'll be able to say, yep, this, 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 and this is wrong with it, where chances are your local football, it's probably one of the dads or older brothers or something like that or senior players that might be coaching them. Do they necessarily have the skills to be able to say, okay, that squat is wrong or that hinge movement's wrong or whatever it might be? Um, so I think it's a lot easier to have the number from a 2K. All right, you ran a 6.30, you ran a 6.40. The 6.30 player is better from a running standpoint. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, I think that's probably the biggest thing in terms of it and because it's so pushed across a lot of different clubs, um, and because it's also primarily a running-based sport as well, or it's seen to be primarily a running-based sport, um, I think that's why a lot of it is. And it's probably also that's, uh, that old analogy of, oh, yeah, that's what we did back in the day as well. 
we used to look at running it. We didn't necessarily look at the whole picture of everything. Yeah, exactly, and and and, and a very good point. So I think you know, the, you've got the visual aspect. Obviously, you can, you see it. You know, the, the mental toughness in inverted commas, mm. uh, the, the the grit. Of, you know, the supposed grit of a player. Uh, it's quite visual. It's quite easy to run, and it's quite easy mm. to understand too. And, and and obviously there is a direct relationship to the game. Um, there's, there's no arguing about that. But obviously the other factors are quite critical. And, and certainly the a lot of the questions I used to ask AFL players is, what did you do when you were young? And I used to get things like gymnastics, trampolining, basketball, and whatever. And, and yeah. you know, it, 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 it wasn't, uh, you know, I was a distance runner. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Okay, that, that, yeah, it's, it, it's a tough one. And I think the, 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 that's probably going back to the advice that you gave. It's probably the spectrum of things, isn't it? Get, get good quality fundamental moves, yeah. get a good trainer, and then... Um, uh, get get some good quality strength and conditioning. Get a get a get a number of movements under your belt that you can do, and um, and obviously get a little bit fitter. But don't make that the the total obsession. Okay, look. Yeah, one yeah, thing I will finish with is a little bit, and you don't need to give any IP away here. <laughs> um, just 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 to finish with <laughs> a little bit about call the cannons. When 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 do you start your pre season in pre Christmas? Yeah, so typically uh, that'll be start to mid-November. Um, that, that's all dependent on as well, like other boys or girls making finals and so on. So typically we'll do three nights a week uh, November uh, and that'll run up to usually the week of or the week before Christmas, depending on where Christmas falls and school holidays fall. Um, we'll typically have three to four weeks over that Christmas break. Again, give or take when school goes back and so on. Um, we'll start back three nights a week, uh, usually sort of in January, uh, and that'll go through till late February where we'll change to Tuesday, Thursday nights, so just the two nights a week. And that will hopefully go till sort of September time. So, so one of the, not, not criticisms, but my observations being the clash of, uh, you know, uh, year 11, year 12, or VCE, um, Yep. And exams and training and, 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 and lads being super motivated to make it into the AFL uh, versus obviously the need to study. How, how do you sort of work that in in that pre-Christmas period? It must be tough. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it can be. Um, I think as long as you're open and honest with your expectations, um, a lot of things can be quite easily sorted out. So... Uh, we also track wellness, so they use a program called SmarterBase, which is provided to us through AFL. Um, so we can easily see, are they stressed, did they sleep well, what's their mood like and so on. Um, and we can use that to have conversations with them. So if I find that a, a player has high stress, well, why? And it could just be as simple as, oh, I've got an exam tomorrow. All right, well, let's easily talk about that and what can we do to sort of help facilitate that. Or um, this time of year, because we've got cuts, basically coming around the corner. Um, they might be a little bit sort of nervous as to whether they're going to make the final squad or or be cut. So um, you can easily have those conversations with them. Um, but I think as long as you're open and honest and you put you sort out your priorities, uh, a lot of things will take care of themselves. Okay, yep, yep. So, so the weights room, I mean, obviously running and sprints can in general be done as a group on the ground with you know your cohorts yep. under, under 18s under 16s i'm assuming with the numbers you have and 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 you know trying to get the fundamental movements and weight training and core stability core strength exercises it, it must be quite a challenge in the gym to to, to get that done in pre-season uh yeah yeah it definitely is it definitely is a challenge so we use a program called team builder um where we can basically go online and put all their programs in and that'll push through to the athletes' phones. So all they have to do is download the app, log in, and it will tell them for the day what their weights program is. So we typically uh, will have a group trained with us in the gym, which will cycle through uh, the various players. Um, but then also we'll try and line them up with uh, gyms around where they live. So... Uh, whether that's like a, a local leisure centre or whether that's an actual S&C private facility or 
or what it might be. Um, we try to get them understanding, basically, that it may not always be with us. It might be on your own. So within Team Builder as well, we've also got the option of being able to upload videos of us performing the list. So it's not going to be quite as good as us actually there coaching them through it, but at least they've got a bit of an understanding as to what... Um, the lift looks like and what we're looking for in the coaching cues around it all. So it's, uh, again, another restriction and limitation that we spoke about earlier around it all. But, again, you just sort of got to try and think creatively as to how you can best uh, engage them into doing their strength programs and uh, different ways in terms of that you can still see that they're doing it. What fitness tests do you do at the club, you know, in pre-season and post-Christmas and in-season? And it's IP, if you don't Yeah, so typically... No, no, that's fine. More than happy to share this. Um, We'll typically track height weights from more anthropometric side of things. Um, Sometimes we'll also track their skin folds um, just so we can make sure whether they're putting on weight or losing weight um, from a body fat point of view. Um, We'll also track the two kilometre time trial, so we're lucky that we've got an athletics track up the road from where we are. Um, so we'll typically take the boys down there and do it on an actual athletics track. We've also test the uh, yo-yo as well. Um, on top of that, they'll also get tested their uh, AFL agility test, the 20-metre sprint test and the vertical jump, running vertical jump uh, during the various testing days run through the AFL throughout the year as well. Okay, okay. So, so with sports science, RPEs, mm-hmm. GPS, how much time do you devote to that side of things? Yeah, a, a fair bit, actually. Um, we've got to be really careful, like what we sort of spoke a little bit earlier about with all the, um, the, the bodies developing and uh, the maturation. We need to be really careful of what sort of load we're placing on them. So in terms of using uh, the RPE, uh, arbitrary load, so your RPE times time. Um, we use GPSs as well, so we're able to track uh, like your total distance, your high-speed metres, um, player load, all that sort of stuff. So we'll, we'll track all that side of it. Um, how, how many I'll, units? I've got a sport scientist. Sorry, was that? How many units do you have? Um, so we'll, we've got, I think it's about 15 of the catapult units, which we can live track with, so we get a bit more of a better understanding as to what is actually happening during the training session, uh, in which case we'll typically uh, place those units on the, uh, on the players where the AFL clubs might want data on them. Um, and then also we've got 10 player tech units as well, which we'll typically touch more on the uh, rehabbers or the uh, younger players coming through that we might just want to get a little bit of data on them. Okay. And does every player uh, provide their RPE after a session in the under-18s? Yeah, so I'll collect their total uh, session RPE. um, But then also with that as well, I'll collect RPE at the end of each drill so we can feedback to the coaches to what what was happening in each drill. So some of the coaches might think, oh, yeah, this will be a really hard one, but in fact it might be really quite easy or... Conversely, it might be the complete opposite where they think it might be really easy, but it's actually quite hard. So it's good feedback for the coaches as well. So I've got a, I've got a big drills database, um, which will give us our typical sort of like metres per minute for the drill, our average RPE and uh, so on. Fantastic. Gee, that's quite, quite extensive. Um, so, yeah. so touching on, 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 on that with, with fitness and, and drills and running, uh, how, how do you mix and match you know, specific running routines and fitness in the drills uh, within within your periodisation or your plan or your, your pre-Christmas, post-Christmas? Yeah, so typically um, a, a training session will run uh, through the drills. So I'll sort of say to our coaches, basically, I want you to try and do the best you can within the drills that you've got to basically teach. So I guess more like a, a tactical periodisation there. Um, but then also if we need to fill, fill up um, our training session with extra conditioning, which quite frequently we do, um, I might utilise uh, MAS, whether it be the Eurofit or Grid. We might do some shuttle runs. We might do more game sense sort of running 
pattern style conditioning uh, where I can sort of play around with like different work to rest ratios. Um, again, typically it's your longer base stuff at the start of the sort of pre-season. As you're heading more towards games, you sort of shorten down the distances a little bit and the intensity pops up a little bit more. So, yeah, we sort of play around with a bit of everything because chances are it's also a matter of educating the players. If they go on to the AFL level or VFL level, they're probably going to be exposed to these sorts of running as well. So at least if the high-performance manager says that an AFL club, I, we're going to do this or this, they've got a bit of an understanding on that as well. Yep. So with, with speed and acceleration development, <clears throat> how many standalone sessions yep. do you do throughout the pre-season? Or do you just incorporate that into mm-hmm. the drills? Uh, incorporation, uh, mainly. Uh, it's hard to do a pure speed session just due to the amount of rest and recovery that you actually need. Um, we we are quite lucky that we actually have a running coach at the club so our physio is a running coach so he'll spend a bit of time with some of the boys uh, specifically if they need to um, along with myself if I've got the time available to do so Um, but typically we'll do a bit of that at the start of each warm up or sorry at the end of each warm up each night of the of each night of the week so we might focus on them doing like their what we would consider junk warm-up. So your run through is basically getting the body ready to go. Then they'll come across to us. Uh, we'll do three or four different drills. So it might be uh, practicing your accelerations with various stuff. So it might be staggered, it might be on your back, it might be in a lunge position and so on. Uh, we might do various speed style drills. So just practicing their running technique over 40, 50 metres. Uh, and then it might be like a, another, like a, a linear or a jump hop type drill. Uh, it just really depends uh, what we periodise in terms of the, the drills that they'll do sort of during that warm up. Okay, okay. Yeah, and obviously, obviously time is such an issue um, trying to get everything in at, at your level. Such a, such a big, such a big uh, mm. factor. So, so <clears throat> I thought I'd start, uh, sorry, I thought I'd end with uh, a fairly topical comment. Uh, how do you incorporate the Nordics exercise, <laughs> the, the controversial hamstring yeah. Nordic exercise? <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we do Nordics as a part of our gym program, um, but it, it's not the only thing we do. So we'll also look at uh, like arabesques, so single leg stance, we'll look at RDLs, um, all, all of these other sort of as well, so it's just a part of the yeah. overall program that the, the athletes would do as a part of their gym programs. Um, so we won't typically do uh, Nordic sort of pre or post training or anything like that. Uh, it'll be more a matter of if it's within their gym program, we'll do it. If it's not, well, uh, they won't be doing it for that uh, block of programming. So I'm not a I'm not a massive fan of doing this real sort of eccentrically loaded exercise and then trying to run them as fast as possible or conversely run them as fast as possible and then do this exercise, I'd rather um, know that they've got a bit of a rest before doing one or the other. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's As you say, you're trying to cram so much into a session too that um, if you're just doing it for the sake of it, then, then, then it could have uh, contraindications. Okay, look... I think, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Let's just finish on... I suppose the, the, the million dollar draft question is: Is the AFL draft too young? Are kids put under too much pressure whilst they're at year twelve? And, and obviously, a lot of them have crazy dreams. Uh, very few make it, as we know, uh, throughout Australia. Yep. And, and um, my, my feeling has always been that it should be at least delayed for a year. Obviously, I came from working with the old system, you know, under under nineteens reserve yep. seniors and then merged into the draft and uh, I just felt that uh, a lot of the players were under a huge pressure and or just had false dreams at that age. What, what, what's your view on the, on the, on the drafting age yeah. or the draft? I think for me, yeah, I think for the majority, I would like to see it increased. Um, I think there is a lot of pressure on them during that top age year of NAB League. So they've, they've turned 18, so they can now go out, they can go partying legally, they can legally purchase alcohol. Um, they're probably, from a social standpoint, they're, they're probably going to be getting 
girlfriends or boyfriends. Um, they've got their VCE exams. Uh, so I think even just from externally to football, there's a lot of stresses and pressure or other in, in, uh, factors that could potentially impact them. Uh, so I, I think it would be good from a, a social point of view to have that increased draft age. Um, but also I think on the, potentially the flip side, you look at Sam Walsh, who he was ready to go at the end of his football, uh, NAB League football. He was ready to go into the AFL and he's performing pretty well for Carlton. So I think there's a little bit of give and take with that. But also, if you increase the draft age, it's an extra year of development or they're more likely to be fully developed. So you can actually start to really get some quality coaching in with them. Chances are because they're not at school, if you need them to come into the club to do okay. some speed sessions or some weight yeah, sessions yeah. or whatever as well. Very, very good point. Very um, good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you can actually, you've got a lot more accessibility with those top age players uh, or what would be the new top age player if they were the 90s. Uh, so I think, I think the, the overall quality would be better if, they increase the draft age, but there would still be a few outliers that wouldn't necessarily benefit from being in the NAB system anymore. So it might even be a matter of, like, say, let's increase the draft age to 19, but let's have a look at maybe some of those other players that could be ready to potentially go into the AFL or something like that. Like, it would be, it would be a little bit give and take, but, yeah, I, I do honestly believe if they increase the draft age, that they wouldn't also have the amount of dropout within that um, AFL or that first two to three years of AFL because they'd have a much better understanding as to where the athletes are at as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I suppose <clears throat> there's almost a, the top 20 that go in the draft. The, the recruiters often say they know that at 15, 16. They know the players. So it's almost like if you, uh, uh, yeah. if you could... If you could allow leeway for younger, say, 20 players that are younger to be drafted, that would take care of the outliers and then the rest, yeah. Some, some, yep. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty much aligned with my thoughts, to be honest, but um, <laughs> probably why I asked the question. Um, okay, mate, well, look, that's fantastic. That's covering a lot of stuff. We could have talked and expanded on things like fitness and weights and that, but uh, an hour is an hour. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic job you do. It's uh, extremely comprehensive. I think people would be very surprised at the, the the level that you have to go to relative to the resources and obviously the 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 the, yeah. the, 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 the reward you get. But um, obviously, I'm sure that you're you're hoping to uh, move on to bigger and better things in your career, and um, I, I think you deserve to. So. Yep. Thanks a lot, Sean. That's, that's been fantastic. Thanks a lot to Sean Potter for that really valuable and interesting insight into development in Australian rules football from under-18s essentially down to under-15s. There's a lot more to it than people would realise and it is an incredibly important job, a job where really it should be a full-time career. Uh, position for for these uh, people and and, and obviously to optimise the development of players. But yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Sean.